We were going to finish up, hopefully, chapter 3 tonight, and we got through verse 16 last week, and so we'll pick up at verse 17, and Lord willing, we'll get down to chapter 4 and verse 1 to continue the thought there, because back when Paul wrote this, he didn't put a chapter break there. He just, oh, thank you, that's what I was fixing to do. He just put a, continued his thought there. Paul is in the middle of making some practical applications that all started, if you remember, when he made the point that now that we are Christians, that there were parts of us uh, and attributes and different things that we do that died when we were buried in the watery grave of baptism. And there were things now that we put on when we came out of the watery grave of baptism. And so he's talked about a variety of different things. And after talking about uh, teaching and admonishing one another in verse 16, uh, he reminds us something that is very, very important in verse 17 that is really the basis for everything that we do. And we know it's the basis for everything that we do because Paul says it's the basis for everything that we do. And he's very adamant that this is all-encompassing because he says in verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So what are we supposed to be thinking about when he says word or deed? What does that make you think of? What does that encompass? All right, whatever we say or do. And carry that even a little bit further. Give it some qualifier. If we say things, especially in relation to the Lord, and he's given us practical application here, what would be some things that we would say? I'm not picking on you specifically for you to give me the answer. I want everybody to answer. Okay? When we use our mouth, especially in Christianity, what are we doing? Think about what he said earlier in the the verse before. All right, we're teaching and admonishing. So whatever you do in word would be what you teach, okay? And that's important because we say a lot of things, but this has a specific qualifier on it because we're dealing with something specifically here as we're going to see in a minute. All right, what about the do? If one part of it's the teaching, the do would be the what? All right, worship's a part of it. What? Jeff, how you live your life, that's a part of it too. Examples are part of it too. Faith, Christianity has two parts to it. It has teaching and it has practice. All right? Now, as we live live our lives, just like other people, we are involved in activities that maybe have nothing to do with Christianity. For example, I might wash my car tomorrow. I'm not going to, but I might. And that's a good activity. And um, nothing wrong with washing your car, nothing wrong with not washing your car. There are things that I could say to, like, Roger, Roger, you look nice today. Now, that's being nice, but that really doesn't have a direct result of Christianity. I could be a heathen and say that to Roger because he's a nice-looking fellow, okay? What this is talking about, because after what he has said in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Then he tells the way that we do this. 
And then he says, and. Remember, verse 17 begins with and. And whatsoever, that's all-encompassing, you do in teaching or in practice, do all in the name of the Lord. Now, obviously, he's not talking about every single aspect of life because there are some aspects of life and some words that come out of our mouth that don't need any authority behind them. But when he says, in the name of the Lord, what is he saying? What does being in the name of the Lord mean? By the authority of the Lord. So we're talking about things that because of the word of God dwelling within us richly, because it's abundant and we're teaching and admonishing one another, the teaching part is what we teach, the admonishing is about our practice. So whatever you do as far as teaching or in practice, you need to do it all by the authority of Jesus Christ. That's where we get our authority to do the things that we do, both by the things that we teach and by the things that we practice in the Lord's church. Now, we don't use the phrase in the name of very often, but those of you who've been uh, listening to me preach for many years understand, as I've taught you before, in the name of means the, in the authority of, and a good way to understand that is there was a practice used to be a part of our culture a long time ago. I don't hear it much on TV anymore, on cops or on live PD or anything, but it used to be if a criminal was robbing a store and started running down the street, the police officer would say, stop, in the name of, I'm so glad nobody said love, <laughs> but usually somebody breaks out in song there, but you said stop in the name of the law, well, what does that mean? You need to stop because of the authority that the police have, and that's what they mean when they say I'm wearing a badge, that's the law, and I'm, a, I'm authorized because I have been named the law to stop you. And it's the same way with Jesus Christ. When it talks about someone being um, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're not being baptized into the idea of just his name. You're being baptized because of the, the authority of Jesus Christ. And so that's what's happening there. When you sign your name to a check, the bank is allowed to give the recipient of that check the money because you have authorized that check by your name. Given them permission or authority to take that money out of your account and give it to that person. And that's all that's happening right here. Paul is saying, after bringing up the idea of letting the word of Christ uh, dwell in us abundantly, and as we teach and admonish one another, and he uses songs and hymns and spiritual songs as an instrument for that, he says, whatever you do in your faith as far as teaching or practice, you have to do all of it, not just some of it, but all of it, whatsoever and all is all-encompassing. Yes? Absolutely. And you know, we always need to make sure that our, our speech is uh, seasoned with grace. And it's a whole lot easier to catch flies with, with honey than it is with whatever other thing used to. What was it, vinegar? Uh, but you can catch fruit flies with vinegar, though. So you got that going for you. Um, but anyway, the premise, though, is being, that sets a very important premise. And it's interesting, it follows after the, the command to sing, that whatever we do as far as Christianity is concerned needs to have behind it the authority of Jesus Christ. And, of course, we find our authority in God's Word. We're not going to find it anywhere else. It would be the teachings that Jesus Christ taught, and then, of course, it would be the, 
added to by the, the apostles who were commissioned by him to teach us these things. You remember how the last chapter of Matthew told them to, to go and teach and make disciples. They were supposed to teach us to make us students of Jesus Christ. So that's very important. Any other comments? So I think we got the gist of that. We have nothing new there. All right. Well, now he begins a discussion after saying that, which is interesting, after making sure that we have the authority of Jesus Christ behind, and, uh, behind it, he makes his very first command after that, and he goes after the wives. I don't know if that means anything or not. <laughs> no, he starts dealing with everyday aspect of lives. And, you know, keep in mind that in the society that Paul lived in, um, they had an extremely high divorce rate. Uh, women were treated awful. Uh, people in general treated one another terribly. And so this is a very important thing that he's going to begin to discuss here. And the very first thing he says is, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So the first group of people he mentions is, is wives. And he mentions, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. What does that word submit mean? That's an all-important question. What does submit mean? Put under, all right? That's, you know, you, I don't know if you're being facetious or not, but that's a very good way to look at it. The word in the Greek is a military term, and it carries with it the idea of rank. In the military, you have rank. You know, everybody can't be the general, everybody can't be the captain, everybody can't be the sergeant, but you have ranks. Now, does it mean that uh, the person who is a captain and not a colonel, does that mean that they're any less of an individual or a person as far as uh, their, their worth? No, it's all about rank. How has the, um, the chain of command been decided? And that's the word he's using here, is a word that designates chain of command. It's not saying that the wife is any less uh, a person or the wife is any less uh, 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 intelligent or anything else. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, what did Paul say? That everybody is equal in Christ Jesus. But it's the idea that, that there has to be some order to things. And he spends a lot of time talking about this in other uh, books, of, uh, in his other epistles, but there has to be an order where the final decision of a household has to be made sometimes, and sometimes that's the way it is. Um, it's not an idea that submission is somehow or another that the wife is supposed to cower before the husband or the husband's not supposed to treat her equally. Um, and, you know, just my own, our own Karen and I's marriage, uh, we are equals, we discuss things equally, decisions are made equally, the money is shared equally, everything's done equally, but sometimes a decision has to be made, and because the decision is such a nature that it's a very tough decision and maybe has very lasting consequences, somebody has to say, well, the buck stops here. And that's what that is saying there by wives submit to your husbands, Yes. Here is where the obey comes into the equation. Okay. If you are going to submit to your husband, and like I said, there is a situation where a decision has to, made, has to be made, and maybe you can't agree with your wife on that decision, or the wife doesn't agree with you on that decision, but it's a decision that has to be made, and if it's of such consequence, as I said, the, the, the husband has to make it. And he's taking the responsibility for it. And if the wife doesn't like it, well, she needs to still go along with his decision and obey him. 
That's where that comes from. Does that make sense? Because eventually the time will come in a marriage relationship where two people aren't going to agree and a decision has to be made. <laughs> because you can't go through life two people doing completely opposite and it's never going to, it's not going to work. But eventually the time will come, and we'll talk more about this with husband's responsibilities in just a minute too, and we'll talk about what the rest of the verse says too, and that's very important. Yes, ma'am. Oh, absolutely. But once again, though, you're, you're giving her... Um, you're, you're giving her the latitude to do those type of things, but ultimately you might have to make a decision about, you know, say, example, um, this, throw this out in the air, that she came to you and said, we're going to move to Antarctica. And you think, man, I don't want to go to Antarctica. Our kids are freeze to death down there. And there's a lot of polar bears down there. Yeah, see? And, um, and from a money standpoint, it might make a lot of sense and she might be really on board with this. And then you as the spiritual leader of the house saying, well, if we do this, this will be the far-reaching consequences of this and that type of thing. Um, it's, it's a hard thing to describe what true submission is, but the bottom line is, notice what it says in the, next, in the rest of the verse. It says, as is fit in the Lord. Now, what does that mean, as fit in the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so a good, a good husband is going to be what, do what's best for the wife and for the rest of the family. Excuse me. Um, so the idea is not to be uh, someone who lords over the wife and says, uh, boom, 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 you got to do this, got to do this. It's about the relationship and understanding that in any relationship, such as even the military, there has to be somebody ultimately who is in charge. And that's why that word there, submit, is there. And it's a hard word to translate, but it's a word that shows the connotation that there has to be a hierarchy. There has to be an organizational chart, if you will, where finally that there can't branch off this way. There has to be a branch that goes boom, boom like that. Yes, Rudolph? Absolutely. But as I said before, the buck's got to stop somewhere. And I believe on the judgment day, that's where the buck's going to stop. And so you have a responsibility as the head of the house to make sure that things are done the right kind of way. And wives have a responsibility to yield to that with the understanding that the buck's going to stop with him one day. And so that's why that awesome decision or choice has been put on his shoulders. And in some ways, they need to say, I'm thankful I don't have that decision. Uh, because sometimes it's, it's, the consequences are amazing. Um, very good point. Anything else before we leave, go to its fit again? And I think with God, he sees human nature here. Two people who spend their life together are not always going to agree. So what happens when there is a disagreement, but still a decision has to make, be made? Um, the husband might make the most stupid decision ever. He might have made the worst decision, and the wife said, that was the stupidest decision I ever heard a man make. But yet, he still has that responsibility, and that's what's going on here. And you try, and you, and you know, you try to, to respect the wishes of one another, but sometimes, as I said, the buck just has to stop here, and somebody's got to make a decision. Even if it's the worst decision that's ever been made, they still has that responsibility. Oh, absolutely, you know. If you don't, if you do things without talking to your spouse, I'm telling you right now, you're a miserable man. <laughs> um, but the idea of being as, as fit in the Lord is the idea that 
that you're, and I think we might have already talked about it. Jeff may have brought this up. I don't remember. Um, that the wife never has to do anything that's not scriptural. Uh, the wife never has to, to submit to the husband if the husband says, well, you're going to become an atheist or you're going to go out and kill this person for me. I'm using extreme situations, but that's the idea. And the whole point of the submission is the idea of submission in the, in the context of Christianity and trying to understand why it's set up this way. And just in case the women think that they're getting a bad deal, look at the next verse. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Uh, love there is the word agape. And we talked about this earlier. This kind of love is a love that seeks out the best interest of the other person. So a husband is going to love his wife in a way that seeks out what's best for her. Oftentimes marriage relationships and the idea that men have is I'll seek out what's best for me and my wife hopefully will come along with it. But no, you seek out what's best for her. That's the way agape works. And of course Paul talking about this very same thing in the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 points out that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So the kind of love that a husband is supposed to have for his wife is a sacrificial love. Now notice the balance that's made here. A decision may have to be made where the wife might have to submit to the husband, but yet at the same time the husband should have the type of attitude that he sacrificially to the point of even giving his own life if necessary. It might not happen today, but it might have happened back then, that you're going to do what is best for her. So the decision that you make that the wife submits to is based upon a decision that out of love and out of what's best for her, I'm willing to make whatever sacrifice that is necessary. So you see the balance that comes out there? It works both ways. You got the wife submitting, but you got the husband sacrificially loving, and in God's plan, that's going to balance everything out. Any questions or comments about that? All right, Flo. Well, that's what it says. That's what it says in verse uh, verse 18. Wife, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Somebody who has a different translation, as is fit. What's something better? Maybe they help her understand it better. Anybody got anything different as, as is fitting? In other words, it's based on God's commands. And um, you as a wife, if, you're, if your husband um, flat out told you you couldn't go to church anymore, I, I wouldn't submit to him to that. I would do the best I could with my children trying to get them to church too and explain to them the situation. Um, well, that's what the verse says. If it's not within the context of the Lord, you don't need to submit. That's what the verse says. Does that make sense now? Yeah. 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 And if you want to, you can go. You go tell somebody your preacher said that. Yeah. I have to go back and look at that again. That's. Yeah. It might have been. I can't remember. But there, that did happen. There was a story. Uh, when David, uh, she took, gave David provisions and he got so angry at night and then he died and then David, that became one of David's wives and, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, life, yeah, you know, that's the thing about it. Life has many situations that it takes, the, you know, even Solomon and all his wisdom can't explain. But at the same time, we need to try to do the best that we can as we can understand God's word 
to try to be submissive and for husbands to try to love their wives. And that's the bottom line. And as with anything that a Christian is supposed to do, or as a Christian is not supposed to do, we don't always get it right. We make mistakes, and there's corrections that have to be made and repenting that has to take place and maybe some more soul-searching, that type of thing. But here is the guideline. The guideline is that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands uh, as it is appropriate in the Lord. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And husbands are supposed to love their wives uh, with a special type of sacrificial love that goes beyond sexual love, that goes beyond uh, friendship love. It's the same kind of love that Jesus Christ had for mankind. That's the kind of love you're supposed to have for your wife. Now, the next thing it says in this verse has always been of some interest to me. And um, a lot of people don't even realize this is in the Bible because they get stop after husbands love your wives. But here in Colossians it says, and be not bitter against them. Now, what in the world is being talked about there? And be not bitter. What you got? Do not be harsh with them. Well, what's that about? Don't be grouchy. Men are grouchy. Well, what's interesting, though, is the word here for bitter, and you can derive bitter from it, you can derive harsh from it, but it's the ultimate extent of bitterness and harshness. The word in the Greek means do not use force against them. That's right. So no more hitting the ladies, guys. You can't hit them. Uh, oh, is this about the wives can't hit the men? <laughs> or just wives you can't hit. You can hit the other ladies. That's what you mean. Okay. <laughs> Do not use force. Very good. And she brings up the point I was going to bring up next. We, th- we think about twisting the arm or hitting somebody. But this is how this works. It, Instead of, you know, we talked, we've even hit around all this this evening already. The husband loves the wife, and so in order to be the, the loving person that he needs to be, he doesn't force her to do the things out of forceness, no better way to put it, but things happen because of the love that he has. He's making a contrast here between how a husband is in charge of a wife that submits to him. It's not love. Love is, I mean, love is the operating tool. It's not forceness. That make sense? That's right. He's not a drill sergeant. He's, he's your compassionate friend. Yes, Flo. Uh-huh. Uh, I, oh, I know that's the way people look at it, but I've never, I've had people come to me in my life saying so-and-so hit me, and I said, well, you have no reason in the world to stay there. You know, you get out of there, and we need to call the police because uh, that's just not right. So that right there the heart yeah, it does, because literally, what's being talked about is using force of any kind, uh, where that force is using your strength as a man or using your tongue as a as a as a weapon, and and a tongue can do more damage than a fist can many many times, and so and that's not the attribute that a husband should have. The husband should love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Yes, Rudolph. No, you're going to be a constant butting of heads, isn't it? And, and I like what you said about love is not an emotion. And once again, people who've been hearing me preach for many years understand that I believe that love is a decision. Hollywood tells us it's emotion, but true love is a decision. 
we get the idea that love's all fireworks and butterflies and, and feeling all these different feelings, but no, love is a decision that you've decided to do, that even when things aren't the way that, that you would like for them to be, um, you've made the decision, and that's where it sticks. Um, a mother that gets up in the middle of the night to clean a filthy, nasty bed because a, a child has got dysentery and goes through that awful event doesn't do that because that's an emotional thing to do. And boy, I just love this. But the decision, because that is my child and my child needs me and I'm going to do that for my child. And uh, you like that? Well, I'm going to try to picture the, make, paint a picture for you there. I could have gone in more detail, Flo. <laughs> but love is a decision. And so uh, a husband needs to, has made the decision that he's going to love his wife sacrificially. And once again, that balances out the submission. I'm not going to make a decision that maybe I feel it's in my best interest. I'm going to make the decision in her best interest. And um, I'm not going to use my status of being the husband and the wife being under submission to me to use that as a force to get something to happen. That's exactly the opposite of what the Scripture says. The Scripture says you use love to make that happen. And um, if things have gone the way that they're supposed to, uh, then they'll all work out. I think one thing that we uh, as spouses, all of us, both women and men, and I'm not critical of anybody's marriage because I don't know everybody's marriage situation, but the best thing that can ever happen for a marriage is that for your wife to become your best friend in the entire world. That's what makes marriages work that you do everything together, you spend time together, this is your best friend in the entire world, and you'd rather, not, you'd rather do something with her than you, or him than anybody else. And that solves a lot of problems. And that's, I think that's the best way to handle that. All right. Well, we're going to run out of time here. In fact, we've got five minutes left. We've got to spend a lot of time on that. Well, we've got the next thing, talking about fathers. And once again, notice it didn't say parents, though we understand that pa- both parents have a responsibility in raising children. But once again, where does the ultimate judgment fall upon? Um, children are free will creatures. They ultimately make the decision about whether or not they're going to do what is right. But when they're under the roof, who has the responsibility to make sure that children are raised the right kind of way? And the father. The father has the ultimate responsibility. Now, I believe with all my heart that children learn more Bible, learn more morals, learn more everything from the mothers because of the way mothers are geared, but yet the fathers have the ultimate responsibility for that, and that's what's being brought out here. And, uh, but he says, um, I, I skipped children. Let me go back up children. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, children, uh, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And um, children have a responsibility to obey. And there's the word obey. That's not for wives. They got the word submission, which is a totally different Greek word. The Greek word here for obey is hapano, which means to obey the orders that have been given. So children have a responsibility to obey their parents. But then, you know, there's no children in here that we're talking to, so that doesn't apply to us other than as children when we were growing up, we should have obeyed our parents because this makes God happy. But then fathers since we already started on that, they're supposed to be, have the responsibility to make sure that the children obey the parents. But it goes on and says, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
Now, two things I want to point out here. First of all, to anger is not in the original language. And some of your translations may reflect that. So literally what you have is, provoke not your children, lest they be discouraged. Uh, Someone might say, well, what do you mean provoke them to anger? Well, the idea is not to provoke them lest they be discouraged. And the word discouraged is not a very good word there because it makes you think, well, I'm just so discouraged because my father told me to do something. Uh, What do you got? Embitter your children? What's everybody else got? Aggravate your children? The Greek word is the word we get exasperation from. Get exasperated. Now, how in the world could a child get exasperated with a father trying to get them to obey? What does that mean? I saw your hand first, I guess. All right. See, all this comes into play with the idea that's being talked about here. You want your children to obey, but you've got to have the proper balance. Being a father is a balancing act where you're strict enough that you raise them right, but you let them be free enough that... You don't exasperate them and kill them and crush them and ruin their own will. Um, I don't know if you all remember a movie that came out, it was a long time ago, called The Great Santini, who was the Marine Drill Sergeant, and he, made, he treated his kids like they were in his platoon. And his kids hated him. Oh, they just hated him. Now, were they good kids? Did they get up every morning and have calisthenics and everything? Did they keep the house shining? Did they look like they were perfectly groomed all the time? Were they the best kids in the neighborhood? Well, they were, but inside they were awful dead people. And you got to find the proper balance there where you train your children up in the way that they should go, but at the same time, you do it with the right kind of balance that you don't kill them or exasperate them to the point that they don't know what to do with themselves. And Roger brought out a point it's being consistent. It's, it's, it's um, following up when you're going to say something's going to have one way. And at the same time, don't say, well, today you can't do this. Well, today you can do this, but you can't do that. Um, fatherhood is a, oh, it's a, it's a scary, scary job. But the idea is you've got to find the proper balance and not exasperate that person. It'd be easy to make a bunch of rules and say you have to follow all these rules, and if you don't follow them, I'm going to punish you. Well, did they learn anything from that? Other than there's a bunch of rules. You've got to learn how to explain things and all that. It's a, it's a hard job. Yes. Oh, that's so easy. It goes back all the way to the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother. And well, it says Sharon and Lynn. She's not well, she's left her father and mother. Once you leave your father and mother, you have your own household. Now, I know exactly what you're saying, Flo. Where does it, it come into play? And I think that when you, con- you consider your child an adult, then they need to be treated as an adult. And some children reach that age at different times. But I have a, an idea that if, if my, uh, well, I have, how old is Andrew now? 20, 24. He, he's, right now he's living in our house, him and Stacy both, because in the process of getting everything finished and buying a house and all that kind of stuff. Um, he has leeway to do whatever he wants to unless he starts doing something very bad. And I say, Andrew, as long as you live in my house, you know, you're, you're a grown man. You make your own decisions, but I'm not going to support you if you're going to live that way. And he knows that's the way it would be. Uh-huh. Okay, that's funny. He does cut my grass. <laughs> now, if I told him to cut my grass and he refused to, yeah, I would probably, 
<laughs> we, I would sit down and say, Andrew, I want you to think about the situation here. You're living here rent-free right now, and you're using my water, my hot water, you're using my electricity, and, and you're doing these different things. And I would appeal from, from a common sense standpoint, and all I've asked you to do is cut the grass. And I think that's a very little thing for me to do. Now, if he still refused to do that, then I'd say, Andrew, this is the second time I've talked to you about this, and I think maybe you might want to make some different decisions about where you want to live. I'm not exasperating if I'm doing it that way. Well, folks, we're out of time, but I appreciate so much all your good, good comments and everything you had to say.